In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today on the anniversary of the Foundation of the Women's Branch and the Foundation of the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross, we will celebrate the Mass of Our Lady of fair love, of beautiful love. As a special reminder of the protection of our Blessed Mother in these two anniversaries. In 1930, February 14th fell on a Friday, the day of the week, in which we especially remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, because our Father said God was intent on there being an innumerable crowd of women who would find Christ and follow him along the pathways of the earth, like those holy women that followed Jesus so closely with the apostles. And our Father would say that Our Lady's role was there too, because all of those who followed Christ had in some way the protection of our Blessed Mother. And he would say that our Opus Dei was born and developed under the mantle of Our Lady. Was born and developed. And now we're still in some way developing, in some way. We can picture the loving care of a mother and her children, some of them rather rambunctious, some of them very close and tender. She protects them under her mantle. We know that famous painting, Regina Opere's Day, where we see Our Lady with some small people there under her mantle. But we also know Our Lady of Fair Love, both in the chapel of the University of Navarre and also the other one in uh, Villa Tevere. It's Our Lady of Fair Love. And uh, at the same time, we know that God had a special strategy in mind. He was able, in his providence, to set things up in time so that the priest society could also be founded on February 14th on the same day but 13 years later 1943 that in itself though it might seem accidental or simply a coincidence is actually of course an, inst- an instrumentalizing by God of time God has control over time. He has control over our inspirations in the sense that he's able to to know when they happen. He's he's God. I mean, he's, he has that power. 
And for him, it, for God, it could have been a strategy to underline the unity between men and women precisely through that link of the priests, a vehicle of that unity and a sign of unity so that everything could be held together between men and women in the work. There would not be one section that would be men and then they would eventually split off or something or just one for priests or, you know, that there would always be that unity. And it is uh, always very beautiful for priests uh, when we speak to our sisters. Uh, what we immediately pick up on is that we're not speaking to foreigners, we're speaking precisely to our sisters. We, we sense that they are sisters because they are really part of the very same family. We sense that more than others do. We understand that you care about our apostolate and we about yours, but it is part of the same family through these, this discrete channel of the priests that are like the bonds of unity that hold the two sections together. Of course, at first, our father was the only priest, and our father had this deep conviction that what he had started was from God. He had started, but it was from God. It was God who inspired him. And, of course, he needed priests, and there were lots of good priests around. They had good doctrine, they were generous, and he had recourse to them. But, as we know, they didn't always, like they didn't know, they were very good, but they didn't always get it. They didn't always get the spirit of the work. He tried to form them, he tried to explain things. And, uh, and some wanted to make a sort of a commitment to the work. They were very good. But it was not, strictly speaking, really possible. They had other commitments and, um, you know, the canon law was slightly different at the time. So our father says this in 1944, recalling these times, he, he said, but God soon made it clear to me that although they were good people, the priests, excellent, some of them, they were not the ones called to fulfill the mission which I outlined above. For this reason, in an earlier document, I determined that for some time, I would say until when, these priests should limit themselves to the administration of the sacraments as strictly ecclesiastical functions. So they would just celebrate Mass and the confessions. Nevertheless, since these priests could not really understand what the Lord was asking of us, especially in relation to the apostles of the women's section, two or three of them were like my crown of thorns because they disoriented people and sowed confusion. Soon, I had to do without their help. From then on, I would call some priests who were not in any way connected to the work to hear the confessions of people in the work and to celebrate the liturgical ceremonies. This I did until we were able to find an appropriate solution to this fundamental 
necessities. Uh, that was on February 14th, 1944, that he wrote this letter. I don't know what these crowns of thorns were suggesting to our father, but obviously they must have been suggesting these things to our sisters. Maybe they were saying, oh, you could be, you're, you're very pious, you could be in a community of, uh, of religious, or, I don't know, that's what I'm guessing. And they said, you know, go to this, uh, the servants of uh, whatever. And so our father kept plodding along. He said, so that there could be no doubt that it was he who was carrying out his work, our Lord added external signs. I had written, there would, would never be women in Obus Day. Have no fear. <laughs> Have no fear. I don't know who was fearing that. I, I never noticed that before. Have no fear. No, so, so somebody says, yeah, but what, what if, what, you know, it's okay. No, no. And a few days later on February 14th, so that it would be seen that this thing was not mine, but against my inclination and against my will. I used to go to a house an old lady of 80 who came to me for confession to celebrate Mass in the small orator she had. And it was there in the Mass, after communion, that the women's section came to the world. When I had finished, I went straight to my confessor who told me, this is as much God's as all the rest. This old lady, it's interesting, you know, this was the, it wasn't maybe a common practice, but she had her own little chapel there. and uh, you know, She must have been quite wealthy. And, uh, well, it was the home of Luz Casanova. She, that's probably the reason why she had this chapel, she was the founder of the apostolic ladies, Las Damas, and... Uh, and uh, she, she had this ap apostolate going, which probably, well, they were good people, but they had a certain religious connotation. And she was going to her father's spiritual direction. And that's where uh, this, this light came to him. It's sometimes in Mass that we suddenly experience uh, a deeper yearning for holiness. We get a kind of a light about the mystery of God that springs up within us, just within the Mass as we hear something read or read the Gospel or hear the Gospel or hear a line from the, the ritual. Maybe you'll get that today too. You'll pick up on a word here or there in the Eucharistic prayer, in the offertory, the simple offertories. But this time, I mean, we get this, and our father used to get this, but this time it was something bigger than usual. He understood that from now on, many women would be receiving God's call to join the mission of Opus Dei. The same mission that he had received years ago. Well, not that long ago at that time, but that they too could make it, make it present in the middle of the world. It's as though our Lord himself were speaking to our father and he would have said something like uh, I noticed that you were not thinking too much about my daughters I noticed too that you will no doubt want to include them in your apostolate in your safe activities you're going to include women 
in the future. Are you not? I mean, your spiritual direction that you're doing with women, it's not just for the damas apostolicas, however good they may be. But not everybody's got to be a dama apostolica. That's a little bit what our, our Lord would have said to our father. And uh, maybe he had, our father had this experience of very pious women, nuns, the damas, some of them were old ladies. And that was very nice. But now, with that day, in 1930, he was being opened up to new horizons. These were very good women, but, but maybe they were in their little section. And Lord, you opened this new horizon to our father. He wanted, Lord, you wanted to have these dynamic women who could speak well, would be cheerful, good humor, who would have this sense of responsibility for the apostolate and the church. Naturally, our father would say, you know, God bless those nuns and those damas. And, but what about professors in university? What about women in the work, in the work field? What about uh, nurses, uh, industry? Engineering, can't they enter into there and be leavened there too? Now we might ask the question, why didn't our father see this at first? When he saw Bush Day on October 2nd, 1928, why didn't he see women there too? Well, one of the things our father saw very clearly when he founded Obus Day was the fraternal aspect. This was very strong. Young men together, encouraging themselves, often in a very anti-Catholic setting. And he could not immediately see how having forming young men together and having that spirit of fraternity could work with, at the same time, with, with women. And it required a much more social and political stability. And there were social reasons too. I mean, Catholic women, and Catholic men, just, they just didn't socialize together. It just didn't happen. That was the society at the time. Maybe if he had founded Opus Dei today, it would have gone like as one thing right away. But naturally, there was a limitations to his understanding of how things would work. And one of them was that, the fraternity. He just couldn't see, he just couldn't see that. So now, this new light, he of course, understood that this came from God and it was also the result of some, some at least minimal development in the, in the men and it was a new light that he did not expect it was both new but it was also pretty obvious you know, that if it was going to be the universal call to sanctity that it was obvious that it had to apply obviously to women but not because he was kind of like enlightened, as we say, but simply because he received a new grace and it was part of the ordinary providence of God. What he saw that day, February 14th, 1930, was not a miracle. It was not, I don't know, he did not see the whole chapel light up with God coming down from a cloud, or seeing Our Lady, like Bernadette Subiru, 
It was not a big miracle. It was just the ordinary action of God's providence. He would say later that without women, Obustay would have been, he would say, lame, crippled, truncated, incomplete, incapacitated, bedridden, hamstrung, out of commission, handicapped, and definitely defective. Meaning, if you're crippled, I mean, you exist, you're alive. I guess if you're crippled, maybe if you're bedridden, yeah, you can, you're there. But there are a lot of roadblocks. There's a lot you can't do. If you're wheelchair-bound, there's a lot of places you can't go. And years ago, uh, there were never any provisions for people with wheelchairs. There's just nothing. There's so many places you could not go. It's just people didn't think about it. They just thought, well, everybody must know how to go upstairs. But And so people who were in wheelchairs were very, very limited. There were roadblocks everywhere for them. And so um, so that's, that's what Opus Dei was like. It was like, like being in a wheelchair. You just can't go anywhere without women. And, uh, of course, we know our Father expected a lot from, from you, from women, their initiatives, their wide-ranging apostolate. And he would say, I want you to be very happy, really happy. But then you have to be ready, he said, to place your feet in the same footsteps of the Lord himself. There you will be able to sanctify yourself. So walk in the same footsteps. Be ready to, to suffer, to, to follow him. And he talks about being ready to struggle, to take on the cross, to struggle against oneself, wherever you are. He talks about being very determined to be very loyal, truly faithful. This is what he said. He said... Um, God expects a lot from you, but take this very much to heart. We will not do anything if we are not saints. We're not doing anything. We're not going to get advanced. The apostolic works of the women's section have no limits at all latitudes. There are countless members of the women's section of Opusay who carry out on their sanctity and sanctifying work among women of all races and religions within the very heart of temporal structures. You each, he said, carry on among women works that are similar to those your brothers also do in the midst of the world. Like other women, you are engaged in very every type of professional, social, and political occupation. Furthermore, you have to take care of the household administration of all the houses of both sections. Once again, I will write that this is the apostolate of apostolate. I assure you that I am not exaggerating. It is a work that serves the whole work and it is truly professional work. Well, right now, there are more women of Opus Dei in Canada than men. There are many more. And this is an imbalance that cannot continue. <laughs> now, 
how do you correct that imbalance? <laughs> now, that does not mean you have to now stop doing apostolate, <laughs> or let's say have less vocations, so that we can increase a little bit more. Men, how do you do this? You know, like like rationally, rational, the rations. I don't know. I don't know how you do this, but. Uh, but it does, does mean that perhaps what we're not praying, you can be praying. You know, so that we start going a little bit faster. And you also are going faster. You know, you're not going like down. You're praying more. We're, I don't know, something like that. But, uh, and so, one of the solutions I see is, uh, is what the Father spoke of in his letter for this month, actually dated to today. He says, uh, In the last year, I have asked you on various occasions that you pray for a special project of territorial, territorial reorganization in some regions so that we might coordinate better and have a new impulse in the apostolate. As you know, there's been this reorganization of regions, some areas in which there was formerly a counselor, he's now no longer a counselor. He's no longer a vicar. He's just a, I don't know, he's just like a director of a delegation or something like that. So now they've fused different regions. It's a better coordination of resources. He says, uh, as you know, the Pope was very happy to know about this initiative. So the Father and the Vicar General went to speak to Pope Francis about this, explaining how that they would fuse certain regions, and you know, like in Latin America and other regions in Europe and stuff like that. He was very happy to know about this because it would facilitate the fact that more people would be really in the street. They would be able to, rather than being directors somewhere in a, in a center and organizing things there, they would now be able to be like really in la calle, as we say, in the street. Really living immediately the spirit of the work with their personal apostolate in their family environment, in their professional environment, etc. This made the Pope very happy to hear that that we would really be like leaven. Some would say infiltrating, right? Now, he says, the Father says, this project is not without its difficulties. And, but we feel also that in this, the work is in our hands. Thanks to the communion of saints, we will all work in the same task in the service of God and of persons. So this is a, it's a new development. There have been similar developments in the past. Right? There have been new regions created, stuff like that. Now it's, it's more of a coordination, a more a logical uh, organization of resources, meaning the resources are not unlimited. That's why 
part of this strategy, and one of the reasons it's difficult, is the whole question of the administrations, the apostolate of apostolates. If there are the apostles of the apostolates, you can't, you can't be without them. It's like oil in the car, or oil in a plane. If there's no lubricant, the whole thing burns up. And uh, the car will come to a screeching halt. Sometimes you see cars driving by, and there's this funny fumes coming out. Well, the, the, that guy didn't change his oil, I mean, you know. And uh, in a few blocks, it's going to smell bad. And, uh, and just the whole you know, transmission, you know, the pistons, the, it's just it's going to rub together. And it's, it's, it doesn't work like it. It needs oil. And of course, same is with the administrations that we need. If they're lacking uh, personnel there, they get burnt out. But this is not just uh, because of the material aspect, but, but also it is the supernatural aspect of service here. If you like, you know, we come to understand the beauty of service and hidden service and largely through the administration and the, the work of the administration. It's like the living, pulsating example of this dying to oneself and serving others that you can't even see often. And with this professional work that is excellently well done. And the Father, of course, mentioned this. Also the role of the administration in his, in his letter when he was first elected as prelate. He said the administration of the centers of Opus Dei, the apostles of apostles, are, as it were, the spinal column. Spinal column. Well, that's another way to say that. You can see it's the, the oil in the car or the spinal column. If you don't have a spinal column, you're done. If you don't have oil in the car, you're done. He said, the Congress has wanted to underline once more the decisive role of their work in making the family atmosphere of the work real and in helping those who come to our houses to grasp it in a visible way. Let us respond to this gift by praying that our Lord may bless this apostle with abundant vocations and that it may be a radiant example of the value of the dignity of the home. The women of the prelature will review the services provided by the administration according to their present circumstances and needs so that they continue sustaining the atmosphere at home, the human and, fa human and family tone that truly makes each center a Bethany for us, yeah. a Bethany. And it's happened in different occasions. I've had the experience of some people say, yeah, I went to your, your center, uh, you know, last year I was there. It's so, it's so clean and so nice and, you know, and I say, yeah, I know, thanks, um, I know. <laughs> So nice, yeah. We we yeah we try to take care of it. And then I went to another one. It was so beautiful. It was so clean and the oratory. And I, I know, I know. Yeah. It's like they praise you for something you didn't even do. You know. So, well, today we give thanks. We ask for more vocations. More numerous, more numerous assistance, but at the same time, you know, we all have to pray more to address the urgent need uh, needs in the apostolate.
And, uh, and so that, of course, when we pray for the women's branch, we pray also for the priests, so that there will be more priests in the priestly society, so that way we get more integrated in the church. Every time there are more priests in the priestly society, the, it sort of integrates the work more deeply into the church. They are part of our family too. Right now I'm, I have had the chance to work with um, 10 Minutes with Jesus, this uh, podcast, right, that every day we present 10 minutes and I, I have to present every twice a month. But, you know, we're looking for more priests and try to get, you know, and uh, priests of the priest society. And uh, the other day in the WhatsApp group, the director, the guy who runs it says, uh, we got another priest, we got another guy. Please uh, meet Father Mike from somewhere in New England. Um, and uh, hi guys. Um, <laughs> so you know. So we said yes. We have another guy. That means we had to preach less. You know, a little bit less. You know. So. And he says, I have three parishes. I'm also director of vocations, and I'm uh, also teaching in the seminary. And like. This guy is a busy guy, you know? and yet he is going to help us. So let's pray for more vocations, both the women and the priests. And our Lord will bless us with an abundance of vocations this year. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you all to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.